0: Richard, and welcome to Esotork's podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 16th, 2013. Join us this week as we talk with longtime downtown L.A. resident Terry Ellsworth about the deep sense of community he found while living in the American Hotel in the Arts District. We'll also visit with Big John Maljevic, who shares his father's astonishing life story, a thrill-packed early 20th century voyage around the world, and how he found the girl he left behind. So stay tuned. Los angeles
1: el pueblo lotus land the city of angels
0: the day of the locust the slide area where all the fruits and nuts ended up when they turned the country on its ear but
1: you and i were born here don't mind a few oddballs
0: in the mix they add flavor growing up in cheviot hills my compass pointed straight to fifth and main
1: as a kid in Hollywood, I was forbidden to take the bus to the Central Library. But I did it anyway.
0: Because you've got to start at the center to understand this confounding and fantastic city.
1: Which makes nonsense of history and breaks all the rules.
0: Rainer Banham said that.
1: He taught us well.
0: In the 1980s at UC Santa Cruz, now on our tours and in our time travel blogs, we're continuing the conversation.
1: Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles and Charles Bukowski's The Birth of Noir. Route 66, The Lowdown on Downtown. The Real Black Dahlia.
0: Positive public space Endangered landmarks Forgotten lore
1: Memory maps Mysteries Murder
0: The allocation of resources
1: The hidden forces that shape public policy Skid Row Bunker Hill
0: Preservation
1: Restoration
0: Redevelopment It's a four-letter word Los Angeles You can't eat the sunshine, but you can drive around and take a long, hard look
1: And listen to the stories
0: And pass them on Why are we doing this again?
1: Because we love the place with a passion that goes beyond sense or reason
0: So did Rayner Banham.
1: So he did. Now let's begin.
2: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can make a beeline for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row, Solano Canyon, the Doria, and Pico Union, the long-lost neighborhood, called Hermin between.
0: Everyone and thank you for listening to our podcast for the week of September sixteenth, twenty thirteen. This week, our guests will be Sarkis Vartanian. He's the owner of the Daily Dose, where we start a, a number of our bus tours, and we'll be talking about the uh, the Esotoric sandwich they've they've made in honor of us. We're also going to talk with our dear friend Terry Ellsworth, longtime resident of the Arts District, and uh, we have a return episode of John Maljevic. Uh, Big John has been on uh, a number of times and will continue to be as we get his incredible life story. This week we're going to focus on backstory. We're going to focus on his father's equally colorful life and uh, and how John uh, came into this world and, and his early years. So, So I'm glad you're here and uh, continue to stay tuned. And and Kim, at this point, I'd, I'd like for you to talk about the Pishka.
1: That would be the digital tip jar that is sitting right there on the main podcast page, welcoming you to toss a little something into it so that we can continue to bring you interviews with wonderful people. It always helps with the gas money. If you want to contribute a little bit, not an obligation, of course. We're happy to have you listen for free, and we welcome your listenership, and anything you'd like to share with us. Thanks.
0: Kim, let's move on to the closely watched train section. I I just want to throw something out. We're going to, so we have, in the coming weeks, we're going to have an interview with Tom Sitton. Tom Sitton is a uh, curator emeritus at the Natural History Museum. He's an accomplished local historian. He's the guy that wrote, actually, all the, the, the landmarking applications for the two districts, Spring Street and Broadway. Wow. Did you know that?
1: I did because he told us, but I was, I still say, wow, because I said, it's, wow, it's, when it happened. And when yeah. we started looking through his documentation, I said, so, wow, wow, wow.
0: So Tom, for our, our free monthly lava salons, uh, early in in this sp- the early spring of 2014, Tom is going to to bless us with his presence by talking about his favorite uh crooked politicians <laughs> and and a, a number of them are going to be uh, board of supervisors los angeles county board of supervisors this is a very powerful position um one which uh local council members and and uh, the mayor live in in awe of uh very powerful positions uh and because of new term limits three seats are opening up and so it's interesting to look at uh It'll be interesting to watch the power struggles as this play out. Uh, Just an, an article in the LA Times last week, by 2016, three of the LA County Board of Supervisors could be women, which is interesting to think about.
1: Especially in light of city council shedding most of its women.
0: Right. So, and and so, just all those things. Tom's talk about the history of the Board of Supervisors and other politicians, and this what's going to be a a, a watershed turnover in the next couple of years. It's a uh, it's interesting. The the County of Los Angeles is vast, it's powerful, and it's uh, poorly understood. Perhaps so. by design. I I don't know. I just I. I
1: it's hard to wrap your brain around it, but come to that law salon and, and Tom will help you understand and who doesn 't love corrupt los angeles politicians they 're so colorful
0: yeah it, it's going it 's going to be a great talk all right let 's uh we, we've got some closely watched trains that actually require some some rumination and uh and, and and back and forth on um fifth and spring fifth and spring has been well almost it, well tom you you start.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a editorial oopsie. Um, you know, our 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 friend Stephen G has just written this wonderful book about John Parkinson, the architect, the great LA architect, City Hall, Union Station, most of downtown LA. And so um he of course is extremely interested in this proposal that's been put forward by the city council to have 5th and Spring, where Parkinson built all four of the buildings, named John Parkinson Square. And uh, we had sent to him a notification that D-Lank, the downtown LA neighborhood council, was going to have one of their little hearings where they're like, hey, is this a good idea? Yes, it is. Let's send it to council, which they do all the time at the request of council. So we sent him the date of that. And then to our surprise, we opened up the downtown news and saw Uh, Five days earlier, it said that city council had voted unanimously to name John Parkinson Square. Gosh, how did we miss that? So we sent that link to Stephen as well. and, And he was excited. And we got in touch with CD14 and said, hey, keep us in the loop. We want to make sure we're there. Uh, Come to find out that was an error on the part of the downtown news. Downtown news has had a lot of turnover with reporters lately. Not sure what happened, but obviously whoever was monitoring uh, city council agendas didn't understand how to read that particular agenda. Uh, There may have been some discussion on the 4th of September about john parkinson square but there was no vote and certainly not a unanimous acceptance of the motion so it's still in the works uh, it has to go to a number of committees first but we will keep you posted because it's a great thing and of course we're we've got parkinson in our brain because of this campaign that we are spearheading to um ask the city to restore john parkinson's 1910 pershing square plant.
0: Okay, Kim, thank you very much. Th- that's, it's going to go through, Kim. Of course it's, it's- going to go through.
1: Just when, that's the
0: question. It's, it's better this way. We'll ha- we have more of a heads up. Uh, an, a note in passing, uh, Broadway is on all of our minds. Um, an, an, a note in the LA Times last week, uh, some some woes for the proposed streetcar on Broadway. Looks like uh, they they didn't really get a good, good number for the budget, and they've got... Uh, $2 million, uh, something like a $2 million...
1: $200, 200. Million. Yeah, really odd, because they had this little local vote where they had people who live in the immediate footprint impacted by the proposed streetcar vote on whether they wanted to be assessed, um in order to contribute to the development of the streetcar, and they were able to get the number that they needed to get an approval. But somehow the uh, amount of money that those people were asked to agree to pay in their taxes was was significantly underestimated. Somehow left out was the cost of... um, dealing with all of the infrastructure, electrical, water, et cetera. So um, there's some hope that maybe DWP would just step in and, and cover those costs. I don't know if they're interested in that. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't know what happens when people have voted to be taxed on something based on a price tag, and then the price tag elevates. Does that mean the vote is still valid? It's,
0: it's called normal life, Kim.
1: Oh, it's interesting. i um, are not huge fans of the streetcar. It's a one-way loop from L.A. Live to... Bunker Hill. Odd. But we'll see what happens.
0: Well, I I just in passing, uh, some ideas thrown out by CD14 to assuage concerns is um, a way to cut costs would be to um, cut the number of stops the the, the trolley car makes. So they they could could lower the number of stops it makes which is stupid. And they said they could also change the route to avoid all this costly um, utility rerouting so maybe it could um
1: You want may- me to sing the monorail song now? I'm I, I, th- I don't know I, all the words. No, but-
0: I think that they sh- no, I think they should just go through all the buildings and then people can park <laughs> their cars on the roofs. Their flying cars.
1: What about those people movers that we were promised in downtown? LA? Bring Kim, back Kim, the people
0: mover. Kim it's it's the people movers are not a joke. They're a really serious problem that still deeply impact downtown the segregation of downtown into light rail uh elevated pedestrian and and car traffic is a a paradigm which is still very much in play in in downtown Los Angeles and it's a terrible one so don't don't joke about the people movers I'm not we, I like we, we, people we, we movers I, I, I really I, do I, I, I hate them we have you to move on yeah. I hate people movers
1: gosh I would go to airports just to walk on people movers
0: and that's where they belong kim richard grand central market economy meets closed last week Maybe nine days ago, I forget. It's it's been a little bit. It's devastating news.
1: I first became aware of Grand Central Market because of economy meets. In the early 1980s, the L.A. County Museum of Art gave a new artist's award to a guy named Andy Wilf. And Andy was this kind of cool rock and roll kind of painter who was doing this incredible uh, neo-expressionism stuff, uh, kind of in, in line with Francis Bacon in England um, but he would go down to the Grand Central Market and he would get meat he would get like the heads of pigs and rumps and big hunks of meat and he would take them to the arts district where he lived in a loft and paint them and he was given this award as the most promising young artist I had no idea this whole world existed I, I wasn't allowed to go downtown I did go downtown secretly but I only went to the central library as a kid so I wasn't really aware that if I walked a few blocks I would find you know this crazy meat counter where artists who lived in lofts were gaining inspiration from pig heads. Uh, so that was really cool and interesting. And then Andy Wolf overdosed, and, and that was the end of, of his career. Very sad, but but Grand Central was on my radar after that. And, and, and Economy Meets uh, was there all along. Um, the earliest ads I've been able to find in the L.A. Times where Economy Meets is referenced as one of the many vendors offering discounted materials in Grand Central Market is 1959. And as of this week, if you walk into Grand Central Market and you go to F9, which has always been their station, and you look up, you will not see their beautiful neon steer, which uh, was the best sign in the market, widely agreed. Uh, You won't even see their butcher's counter, because the entire thing's been removed. There's um, bricks and drains for blood and such, and a couple of sad butcher's blocks in the corner, and a freezer room beyond, and it's, boy, it's really... It's. It was shocking.
0: Kim, read 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 the list. Chris Nichols compiled this and posted this to uh, to some well, to our some, Facebook
1: page. Actually, I I posted the the photo of the of the market stall that had been ripped out. I posted the photo on our Facebook page of the of the two sad butcher blocks, and and Chris said, "Oh, so many empty stalls." And someone came in and said, "Oh, who who's gone?" And and he compiled this list, and I was really shocked to see it. I mean, I've noticed. Obviously, anyone who goes into Grand Central Market has noticed how it's been emptying out. I guess that people are just not getting their leases extended and rents are going up. But th- this, is, this is a litany. Uh, these are businesses that have left Grand Central Market in the past few months, courtesy of Chris Nichols from LA Magazine. Corleone's Pizza, Maria's Seafood, Ongpin Express, Hill Street Cafe, La Adelita Panaderia, Tropical Zone Ice Cream, Wynn Produce, Del Rey Productos Latinos, Le Secret, a water store, a massage station, a check-cashing stand, a 99-cent store in the basement, and now Economy Meats. These aren't numbered, they're lettered, but Economy Meats is letter N. That's a lot of small businesses gone. That's a lot of people no longer in the market. That's a huge, huge, huge change, and it's pretty shocking.
0: That's 50. Good God. I, I, I want to apologize when I embed lists in my type program. It it doesn't, it doesn't automatically switches to uh, letters, and I, I forgot that, Kim.
1: I want to apologize for not knowing that N is 15.
0: Kim, stop apologizing. I want to read something.
1: Wait, wait, no. It should be 14. Isn't M13? Because oh, yeah. of gang stuff? Right. Yeah. N is 14.
0: All right, Kim, we, we had a lot... We, we talked about this a lot in the last couple of days. Um, there's a lot we could say.
1: Well, we should talk br- briefly about what you, what you said on Which Way LA? Because six months ago, you were on a panel talking about the changes coming to Grand Central. And this is before the vast majority of these A through N businesses left the market. And, and what did you say about the changes in the future and the gentrification of the market?
0: I, I said that Grand Central will survive. And I believe that.
1: And will survive offering something for all demographics that use it. That's what you said.
0: That, that, that is what I said. I hope you're right. I, I hope I'm right, too, Kim. Um, so there's a lot more we could say. I just... Um, it's, it's the fall. We're coming into the fall. Uh, we've got uh, the Swifts coming downtown. Uh, they like to use the chimneys of the Chester Williams building. I remember... When Clifton's closed back in two thousand eleven, uh, the Swifts were just arriving in the chimneys, and so whenever I I think about about these great passings in downtown, I I think of the Swifts, and so I want to read a a brief passage from uh, William Q. Jud, uh, William Q. Judge. He's a was an early Theosophist, very interesting guy. This is from uh, his memoir. When I was a boy in Ireland, I used to go to my uncle's place where there was an old mass of stone ruins at the end of the garden, and by some peculiar combination of circumstances, the swallows of the whole neighboring counties collected there. The way they gathered there was this, when the time arrived, you see... They came from all parts of the sky, and they would settle down and twitter on this pile of stones all day and fly about. When the evening came, twilight, they raised in a body and formed an enormous circle. It must have been over 40 feet in diameter, and that circle of swallows flew around the sky, around this tower, around and around for an hour or two, making a loud twittering noise that attracted from all other places, swallows who'd probably forgotten the occasion. They kept this up for several days until one day the time arrived when they must go. And they went away.
1: Yeah, I guess things do change, and we do have seasons. And sometimes you have to be the people who watch the change from a slightly elevated position, and are sad. So we're sad.
0: Kim, let's uh, let's move on to some events. Um, we've got uh, we've got coming up. My uh, my two. We have those two events back to back. Uh, October 10th at the Union Rescue Mission, the the walk and the screens let me let me take those uh, now and dissect them. So Thursday, October 10th, starting at 5 p.m., we have the first of the two events. That's that's my walk with Reverend Andy Bales. This is a this is a great thing we do. Um, we 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 gather in the front of the Union Rescue Mission at 5 p.m. Uh, the bus, their one of their old school buses, pulls up. We get in. Uh, we're going to be joined this time by by uh, Paul Rood, who's a professor at Biola, who's been on this podcast before. We're going to have the bus drop us off at the lawn of City Hall. This, this will allow us to then talk about the Union Rescue Mission's first intake mission uh, back in the 1890s, which is now where the City Hall lawn was. Uh, we'll talk about 19th century... Okay, we'll talk about all that stuff. We're going to go through uh, the second location of the mission next to Saint Vibiana's, which is now a parking lot, and then uh, we're going to go to Third and San Pedro, where the uh, new, uh, not the, the Kyoto Grand is, site of Azusa Revival. It's going to be great. Okay, and then a lot of course of we'll
1: walk through what is now Skid Row with with Reverend Andy Bales and talk about. All of the many challenges in trying to help the people on Skid Row and what missions do and what the government does and the, and the issues of hygiene and, and life transformation and employment and drug addiction and all the many challenges faced by our friends at the Union Rescue Mission. And then, of course, we end up on the roof of the Union Rescue Mission in its latest building, which is quite a large compound over on San Pedro Street, and they have a beautiful rooftop where they have a playground for the children, and they have a little garden for herbs and vegetables, and where we'll we'll put a screen up and watch this astonishing film that the URM made um, as a sort of proselytizing document. Uh, In the mid-1940s, it's a color film called of Scrap and Steel made on Main Street, and it's uh, very, very rare for that reason. No one came down to Main Street in the 40s to shoot color. They wanted to get noir But the URM wanted to show what was really going on. And it's a half-hour film. It's a true-to-life story about some of the people at the URM. And it's both extremely entertaining and extremely informative. And so we'll watch that after the sun comes down. And, of course, you can have a little something to eat on the roof to benefit the URM. It's free. And uh, we do this once a year for Lava. And we really enjoy this event.
0: Kim thank you for uh helping me out of that pit i dug myself. There's there's a lot going well, on. Well you, you're this. just so excited I, I about it, i know. So, moving on. All right. Uh then we uh we're still we're still in October. There's a lot going on in October. Uh, that's the 10th, 10 days later, Sunday, October 20, the Herzberg Davis uh Forensic Science Center at Cal State Los Angeles. That's a very long fancy name for the crime lab for the LAPD and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, which is also home to the criminalistics department at Cal State Los Angeles. We're going to have another crime lab. It is called Los Angeles 1920 to 1947, the birth of forensic science. So we're going to have our two friends, Mike and Mei Ling, talk about seminal cases. These cases are watersheds for the creation of modern forensic investigative technique and the actual structure of law enforcement agencies, the Sheriff's Department and the LAPD, for how they investigate homicide. So they're going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, the Black Dahlia is going to figure heavily in, in mailings presentation, so we're going to get a, get a nice, little, uh, nice little glimpse of forensic techniques then, forensic techniques now. It's going to be g- g- really important. And then and then we have, uh, on the 26th, I almost forgot, the Charles Bukowski Salon. How could you
1: forget the Charles Bukowski Salon, know. literary salon, back on the calendar at the Los Angeles Athletic Club, which is our new home for these events. Um, it's going to be a big day for us because we're starting at the Athletic Club with a Raymond Chandler tour, then we're bringing it on home at the club with this Charles Bukowski lit salon. It's going to be... Half the price of previous literary salons, which means you get dinner, you get to hang out with all of the Bukowski people, you get to hear some fantastic presentations, and I think we've just locked down a wine sponsorship, so there'll be some wine to sample, you know, the sort of thing Bukowski would have liked in his later years. And uh, we would love to have you there, so check out the link and reserve your seat if you'd like to come down, see the historic Los Angeles Athletic Club, and learn some things about Bukowski you probably didn't know.
0: Thank you, Kim. All right, let's uh, let's get to these interviews. So we uh we actually we we have three interviews today. We have uh, at the f- the first out of the gate, we just have a short uh introduction to Sarkis. Sarkis runs the Daily Dose and we just wanted to uh highlight the Daily Dose because we start a lot of our tours there and they've named a sandwich after us.
1: They named a sandwich after us. Right. I mean I feel like I don't know. That we, makes sense. We us we're, we're there. Real Angelinos. <laughs> okay. There's a sandwich named after us. So we're
0: Somewhere. we're very grateful. We we love starting our tours of the daily dose. So we just want to uh, just spend a couple minutes introducing everyone to Sarkis and the Daily Dose. So we'll we'll, we'll that will be first out of the gate. And then um, I'm going to introduce right now John Maljevic first because he's going to be the last interview. Terry will be the the first full length interview. So let me start with John. John Meljevic, a man who uh, the man who taught me how to temper tool steel. Okay, so that's a, that's a non-trivial statement for me. Very important guy. Uh, this episode we're going to focus on his backstory, his parents' story, uh, how his parents came, got together. His father's amazing journey across the uh, uh, eastern and western hemisphere. Oh,
1: he should have died. 18 times the story you will not believe in
0: so so we, we want to do that we want to we want to take a breath as we get john's story in these podcasts we want to take a breath and and do some fill in some background because because you just it's a, it, there, there there's a lot there and i think it'll help everyone so so john will be last and and we'll, we'll wrap up with that our first full length interview will be terry ellsworth terry ellsworth is of course our dear friend long-time resident and a curator in the Arts District. He's going to be talking about what everyone's talking about in the Arts District today, what is happening in the Arts District today. And a
1: lot of development and a lot of new people coming in. Change is, uh, change is hard when you live in the last SRO, single-room occupancy, in the Arts District, the American Hotel.
0: Yes, so But I think Terry's ready. Terry's ready for anything. Yeah, he's okay. the most
1: game fella I know.
0: Okay. And and we've included his email link in the URL sec in the link URL section of this podcast, so send him an email. So <laughs> He'd like let that. let's take it away with our interview with Sarkis and then Terry. <laughs> Sarkis, thank you for joining us. We're here at your cafe in the Arts District. I, wanna, I want you just to start off by, by introducing yourself. Hi, I'm Sarkis, founder of The Daily Dose. Perfect. Okay, so tell us where The Daily Dose is. Um, we're on Industrial Street in a small alley that curves that used to be the railroad tracks for the Nabisco lofts. Perfect. We start a lot of our tours here. We love it here. We love the Arts District. We love you here. God bless you. Okay. Um, People, uh, in addition to coming here to get on our bus, uh, probably want to come by, because we only give tours once a week, probably want to come by for a a snack, a lunch, or breakfast. Can you give us quickly your hours? We're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And Saturdays 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. And Sundays it's brunch 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Perfect. And if people want to come for brunch on the weekends, do you have, are there, are there better times to get here? Is, is, there, is there a crunch sometimes so people can sort of keep that in mind? Well, if the Esoturic tour is coming around, <laughs> they better get here early because they usually take everything we have. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, good. So this is a great place. So in addition to us starting our bus tours here, you've, God bless you, so you've named a sandwich after us. So why don't we, um, do, you, do you want to just talk about the sandwich? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a bagel. It's, it, it starts with a, a water bagel, right? Well, it defines esoteric. It's a water bagel with scramble, uh, Fiscalini cheddar, uh, with green onions, tomato, and our famous jalapeno uh, ketchup. Perfect. Perfect. So this is this is a, so if you get on the bus, come by, order the esoteric sandwich. So we're we're very excited. We um you you have a lot going on, not just this well, You can only get the esoteric sandwich on Sundays. Saturdays. On, on oh Saturdays. Saturdays. That's right, that's right. You you you, you 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 can only get the esoteric sandwich when we give we give the bus tour on Saturdays, yes. And um are your 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 Sunday hours you open at nine? Yes. But at nine sharp. Perfect. Okay. And looking ahead, um, you're a very busy guy. A lot going on here. Do you just want to pull our sleeve to some stuff people can look forward to uh, from you on this block in, in, the, in the coming months? Well, we're opening up two new restaurants. One's called Raging Bull. It's connected to the Daily Dose. And one outside on Industrial Street with street access called Hamhawks, Collard Greens and Growlers. That's fantastic. I love it. Great. Sarkis. Thank you. Uh, everyone will... You're welcome. Thank you. You're fantastic. You're Okay. We're vice presidents of each other's fan club. God bless you. We'll, we'll, we'll see you Saturday for The Best Door. See ya. Terry, I'm here with you at Angel City Brewery. We're here to talk about the history... This is the second in our ongoing series about the history of the Arts District. So why don't you, for those that didn't tune in the first time, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, about where we are.
3: Well, my name is Terry Ellsworth. I, I, uh, the story of how I wandered down here is it's kind of interesting, but we'll save that for another, another chapter. But the, the, I've been down here long enough to see th- this place really grow in that uh, early in my life, I lived on the Venice Boardwalk, and I saw that gentrify. And the same thing is happening here, uh, in a very good way, if I must say. And if I can just take a second to say thank Victor. We've had a lot of people coming into our community, trying to ingratiate themselves, and their ultimate motives sort of always rise to the surface where with Victor he's provided he's really provided the two things that that are really going to drive down here and make our community even better in that he has been over backwards to show the people who live here that he has uh, the communal spirit that sort of lives here it's funny LA is sort of a bunch of little villages all knitted together and i've lived in most of them and this one is the most friendly you know i lived in all the posh places on the west side and I must say, I never knew my neighbors. But when I wandered down here, I, find, I found my part of the forest. I can't tell you, Traction in Hewitt was the, sort of the, the pot of gold at the end of my rainbow anyway. And this is part of it. Actually, because of you and Kim, if I must say, you've sort of... I had a layman's fascination with architecture in Los Angeles itself, her soul, if you will. And uh, actually, the building that we're standing in right now is the old uh, Roeblings building. If you know, um, he and Charles Otis made uh, skyscrapers possible. He uh, manufactured steel cable, built the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, here I am standing in this wonderful old building, and it's as contemporary as it was probably the day that they built it. So uh, this community does that sort of thing. Perfect introduction. Now, we've,
0: we've just stepped inside and we have uh, noted some some paintings in the exhibit mm-hmm. in your face, which is an, an ongoing exhibit. We'll be talking to Jonathan in just a minute to get sort of an overview of the show. But, Kim, if you could... Oh, perfect. We've, mm-hmm. Terry, so what I want to do is I want you just... We're, we're, we've, we've noted some images. If you could just uh, briefly... We're not interested so much in the image as a work of art, but as a trigger... For your life down here. So, we're not going to meticulously describe what it is we're looking at, but just give a general sense. And, and that'll, my, my goal in this interview with you is just to hear your stories because the show, In Your Face, is a show about the arts district in the 80s and 90s. And, and that's really, I think, where your story with this neighborhood begins. Absolutely.
3: Well, the first image you're looking at here is the old Yimmy Lou's bar. Now, that was in Chinatown, and it was, if you ever wanted to know what L.A. was like outside of the posh element, the sort of ragged edge of the city, Yimiluz was that place. It was, the pl- it was sort of on, on the edge. Now, Yimiluz was a place that you could, like, go to dinner, you could have a drink, and you could also place a bet. the atomic cafe you could do that too but that's we'll see that later on but um yimi was kind of the hipsters it's where the cool kids hung out uh it had the very worst chop suey in the world but you but now this this is the ragged you wanted you wanted the Okay, you could also get a bundle of heroin with your chili con carne. <laughs> That's for real. Now, the first time I ever walked in there, I was kind of all eyeballs. You know, I mean, I was in the the denizens of downtown. It was still a very dangerous place. I mean, it was no big deal to go to a club, come out, and your battery was gone. That's just the the risk that you ran. But but <clears throat> Yee me Luz, I went into and. They served a chili con carne that they were sort of like uh, famous for. It didn't have any beans. It was it was meat and grease. And on the top was about a quarter inch of this clear uh, grease, basically. And I looked at it, and the waitress, who, by the way, had uh, fishnet nylons that she had taken her nail polish and stopped the runs with, which I thought was... Kind of a cool fashion statement. But she caught... And she knew that she had a tourist, that I was naive. And she looked down at me. And along with the the beans, you got a bowl of chili peppers and uh, diced onions. And she stuck her hand in the bowl of diced onions and took a mouthful, sneered at me, and walked away. That was the Atomic Cafe. But (laughs) it kind of looked like... uh, Kind of like the the saloon from Star Wars. And there was... (laughs) Mohawks and Nohawks and the s and crowd. It was one of those places kind of like um, Gorky's that stayed open real late. Give us a time frame. Ooh, my time would be late 80s through the 90s through the 00s. Uh, the uh, atomic probably went out with the millennium, which probably was a good thing.
0: Well, let's actually, uh, why don't we get to eventually get oh, to no, the sorry. the atomic that's okay yeah. well let's move on to the next yeah. next image and eventually we'll get the atomic so what, okay. what what are we talking about now
3: this is the terminal bar and grill it's on central i believe and uh again it was it, it this harkens back to old la let, uh let me
0: interrupt you the terminal it's on central in 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 what was it was in the produce district yeah the, okay i'm sorry okay.
3: um it's kind of a throwback. If you read the beginning of The Postman Always Rings Twice, you'll see kind of, let's say you were a guy on your own. You wandered into town. You needed a few bucks in a place to sleep. You would go down to the terminal and unload produce. that would come down from the central part of California. And you could, just within a couple blocks away, in an SRO hotel, you could uh, get a one-room situation. They had, actually, accommodations directly across from where all the fruit was processed, all the vegetables. It's the SRO buildings now. Anyway, um, you could do that, and then um, the terminal bar and grill is, actually was immortalized by Tom Waits in a wonderful song. He mentions the terminal bar and girl. Now, we didn't spend a lot of time in there, my crowd, the art crowd, because it was a bit of a tough bar. It was kind of their bar, if you will. Uh, but we did make a few forays. into. There's probably not a bar downtown that we didn't invade somehow. But Shall, shall, we, shall we move on to, to, to the next photo? Well, you're looking at my living room here. This is uh, Al's Bar in the day and again Isles Bar kind of refers to the terminal in that again it's an an SRO hotel it's right near the docks the the loading docks it's actually started out life as the Canadian hotel and again I have to take you back to the days when Central Avenue was an all-black neighborhood and basically the Canadian was a black hotel many of 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 the big jazz and blues artists that you would know today lived in that hotel stayed in that hotel when they were doing the clubs like babe and ricky's for example which was the last one to really go out a lot of fun babe and ricky's on monday nights was uh, chicken neck night and uh, you could get a bowl of chicken legs or chicken necks and, and see some great blues and things like that but I don't mean to wander, but uh, Al's um, also was kind of a situation, when it turned to the American, it really became the first hive, if you will, of, of artists. When I first moved in there, it, there were painters, models, um, heroin addicts. There, <laughs> there were, um, <clears throat> Jesus, it, the, 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 it's hard me. It was, you know, some movies were shot there. Some chemicals were, 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 were concocted there. But overall, um, those people tend to leave. And what happened was it just sort of gelled into a wonderful artist community. And that was basically the hub of the wheel. Uh, Al's Bar brought us in. Uh, that experience uh, is a golden one for me. Um, I could tell you Al's Bar stories all night. Just to let, let you know what a magic place it was. I'll give you one tiny little Al's Bar story. I walked in, and the, uh, the waitress's name was Stacy. She had this FM voice from Texas. And the manager was a girl named Toast. And Toast looked at me and goes, Hey, Terry, stick around. You're going to like this band. So I did. And uh, it was the White Stripes, and they played for 14 people. And that was Al's Bar. That was just one night at Al's Bar. So that's a good one. That's uh, very close to my <laughs> Let's move on to the, to the next one. At, at, at kind of this image is sort of a real dichotomy because on the top left you have Vickman's, which was one of these wonderful places to get a, 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 one of the best corned beef sandwiches in the world. It also stayed open very late. It was a family place. And uh, it was a real safe haven late at night. Like, if, if you didn't want to see your friends and you really wanted to sober up, because if you went to, for example, Gorky's, you'd get drug off to another party. So Vickman's was kind of like you could see real sane families, and nuclear families and things. So it was a safe place to go if you wanted to sort of lay low. Now, on the other hand, the lower right hand, I actually, that's a sad story uh, Richard, because um, I was downtown today with Julie Emmel, who runs the uh, uh, art share, and cr- any evidence of Krabby Joe's has been erased. We went by, and there was the Richard Ramirez Quesadilla restaurant, and, and nestled between the Cecil, and it's now as if it has been erased. The door is off, everything's off the front. As they peeked through the doors, which had been taken off the uh, the frame, you could see the workmen in there tearing it all apart. And it, it almost tore my heart out. We were there at the last night. We met uh, Don Wayne, the drunken cowboy. I, I know, Terry. <laughs> I I'm Tears are forming in my eyes right now. I have to tell you, it had some of the strangest signage uh, that you'd ever seen in the bar. One was... If you left your drink to go out and smoke, and the drink was gone, don't blame us. Okay, <laughs> that was a real sign. And there was something about that they weren't responsible for any gastric problems from the from the vinegar eggs, things like that. But to be sitting there at my friend Emric Conrad, who's a hell of a painter, a very popular guy, we would go there to actually lay low so people couldn't find us there. And to sit there and watch a character right out of a Bukowski novel come in and spill nickels and dimes and pennies on that bar and have that big red-headed Jenny, the, 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 the bartender, count it out, put the little bar, a can of beer in a, in, a, in, a, in a paper sack, and the guy walked out. I, I, I had never been in a bar in my life that you could walk in. I mean, in the Midwest you can do that, but that bar had been there so long. They had one of those crazy liquor licenses and things. The linoleum hadn't been changed since 1951. The condom machine, I wanted that so bad. It had these horrible 70s stickers with the iridescent Go Go Girls and stuff. Oh my God, I can't believe it's gone.
0: We have have to move on to the next image because we cannot bring back the hour. I'm
3: going to (coughs) cry. All right, there's the Atomic. There's the Atomic. Now, this actually, if I'm not mistaken, this was put together by uh, one of the local artists called Jericho Wagons. And this was a tribute to that, and he gave them to all the people who used to. This was actually, this image was done much later after the place closed. And it was an homage that he did uh, for all of us who used to hang out there and stuff. It's a wonderful composition, and uh, it never looked that good, believe me. (laughs) Let's, let, let's get
0: everyone oriented because, of course, the Atomic Cafe was one of the first places I went. Yeah. Before even I could drive, I went. I knew that that was the place to go. So the Atomic Cafe was at first and central. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of want to set...
3: Mm-hmm. No, it's it will, oh. now Senior Fish, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's first in Alameda. Yes. First in Alameda. It's now Senior Fish, which was nothing like what it was. Now, Richard, in my archives, I have the original business card... Now, I want to take your mind back to the late 50s, and remember hot rod cars that would have like a blue metal flake, you'd you'd turn in, it was almost ventricular, it's that car, it's that blue that shines, and then in this sort of hot rod script, it says Atomic Cafe, I'll I'll show you one one of these days, but that's actually one of the things I grabbed, I grabbed it that night, (laughs) I'm the only one I know that has one, so... I'm very pleased.
0: Um, tell, us, tell us one Atomic Cafe story before before we wrap this up, because that was just such an important place.
3: All right. One night, we were in the Atomic, and they had just opened Sam's Hofbrau down down the, down the end of, uh, of Alameda. This is probably six blocks down Alameda. Sam's Hofbrau was an old, real German Hofbrau, and it was changed. It was the first real strip club to come downtown, and... It was sort of a third-rate thing. But the, the deal was is it never took on the, uh, the appearance of, like, a strip club. It always felt like a restaurant with naked girls walking around and things like that. So we met a couple of girls there. We closed it. We went to the Atomic, and this was going to be a for-sure thing. This actually happened, and we are in there, and we were just trying to, like, introduce this wonderful idea to these girls, you know, going off. But they were hungry, and just as we were getting ready to go, uh, the police pulled up and pulled the uh, the um, uh, chef out of the, out of the kitchen and arrested him for heroin sales and they shut the place down. So that was it. <laughs> so that, that's a that's a very good Atomic yeah. Cafe story. Yeah. Well, that's, okay. I, I,
0: I really I really like that. Um, I wanna I, w- I want to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. We're in the Arts District. It's 2013. You've been telling me stories, wonderful stories that go back as early as. The mid nineteen eighties, maybe, and and so you, you, we've been looking back. What what's what's what do you see ahead for this neighborhood, which is very much in transition, which is very small, and which is very fragile?
3: Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna anger a lot of my friends. Uh, we just just had a had a local meeting. We have uh, meetings for La Raba, and it's a it's a very close knit community. We have these meetings once a month. And there's a lot of opposition into a lot of the development that's going on. There's a big one going on uh, right right on the, the river. And um, a lot of the old-timers, they, they tend to stay in the past. They, they want to talk about the days when you could get things for 10 cents a foot, square foot, and things like that. But what they don't tell you is that your battery would get stolen. It was a very dangerous place to be, I think, change is inevitable. I think that change is good. I think that I don't mean to sound jaded and things, but usually developers get get their way. In this community we put up such a big stink. We know we're gonna lose, but we put up such a big stink that we can get enough concessions that it actually, believe it or not, it kind of awakens something in these in these developers and it brings people like like Victor here, who all of a sudden realize that they're going to benefit, not financially, on a human level. And uh, that's the essence of, of, I think, of this place. And it also what makes those those photographs and those pieces of art relevant in that they're just buildings. It's the people who inhabited those buildings who went in there and hoped and dreamed and schemed and lied and cheated and whatever they had to do uh it almost permeates the wall richard and you get in there and and, in in people who come outside of our little little Glen here our little village um they can feel it's palpable they say you you guys really have something going on here and i invite anybody to come down please uh if i may do my own little thing uh at art share which is basically fourth and alameda uh, we do a thing called uh, Thursday Night Confidential, which is sort of a speakeasy type thing where we have burlesque, we have honky-tonk music. To, uh, unfortunately, when you hear this, this will be over, but we do have a knife thrower who throws <laughs> knives at his wife. <laughs> she has red hair, so I'm going to let you guys put that together. But um, there's such a vibrant thing. Uh, we're just one little part of this. So There's so much going on. Also, I invite anybody to come down uh, at the last Sunday of the month and come to our swap meet. There's some very interesting things for sale, <laughs> let me tell you. if you want to build uh, your your art uh, collection cheap, please come down here. Um, and uh, Worst Cooch is wonderful, the Pie Hole. These are people who have come in and provided jobs for us here. They're wonderful people. They, they provide uh, space on their walls for the art. They, they promote our things. And uh, it's, it's, it's really kind of gelling. And uh, I think that we're creating a brand-new sort of um, – um, I hate to use the word tourist, but it's it's. This is a place you can actually take your grandmother and have a great time. The neon museum, the live theater, the wonderful restaurants. Uh, I'm for change. Uh, again, a lot of my old friends are gonna gonna hate me, but uh, uh, come down and see. Come down and see. Ask for Terry. I'll, I'll give you a personal tour. I what to God.
0: Terry, we will uh, put some some way of contacting you—not your phone number, but some other way of people reaching out to you. Because people should call you, should get in touch with you for a tour of the neighborhood. We're going to wrap this up. I want to thank you. This has been a great walk backward and a great look forward from you, and we'll be back soon for more stories about really stories out by the river down in the early '90s.
3: Got a million of them, and I really want to thank. You. You and your wife for, you know, I, 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 I was interested, but the way you've made these buildings come to life for me, the places that you've got me, we have, folks, we have gotten backstage in places that you would not believe. I'm just going to take one second. The highlight for me is they invited me at the Alexandria Hotel. If you go, what's the main room? Not the crystal. The, hall, cru- the, 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 the palm, palm Court. Palm Court. Uh, you've all seen it from underneath. But how many of you have seen it from looking down from the top? And we had that experience and that privilege. And uh, But you've really got me into some of the really interesting places. Um, more, perhaps as important overlooking
0: the ceiling to the palm court and the service access bay, you were standing next to the great-grandson of the man who designed the stained glass for that ceiling, Dave Judson.
3: Well, if we're getting into, into relations, uh, I think last Saturday I did meet the uh, granddaughter of Dashiell Hammett, thanks to you, too. Which... <laughs> we're we're God bless you. We're, we're going to wrap this up. Right. Thank you for
0: letting us talk to you about the history of the Arts District, and we will see you again very soon.
3: You bet anytime come down and visit us uh, ask ask for terry i'll be glad to give you a tour and uh and tell you where the fun places are, but it is a new spot you know it's 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 weird a lot of new kind of uh ideas are really being put into put into into action and things so um if you get a notion come on down it's it's a lot safer than it used to be I believe.
4: My name is Dennis Justice, a true Angelino. And you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine.
0: All right. We're we're here with John again. And John, we're gonna do just uh, we're gonna do an episode just on your backstory because all the stories you've been telling us about Hollywood in the mid fifties and through the sixties are really interesting, but there's just where did you come from, right? We we, we all want to know where you came from. And let's just start by doing a quick uh a quick segment on your parents and where how your parents came to be married, because that's gonna eventually get us to you and how you came to Los Angeles. That's gonna take a couple episodes. But um so, so John, I want you again to introduce yourself and tell us where your your parents are from.
4: Okay, shut it off for a second. Oh sure. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm going to change. Yeah. So,
0: um, Can I take this on? yes, absolutely. I'm so sorry. No. Be right Thank you. Okay. So, so John, why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, just tell us about, just tell us where your parents came from.
4: Okay. I'm John Meljovic again, and Richard wants to know where, where, where my parents come from. My, our family hails from the julian Alps, in the austrian italian frontier and my dad as a as a youngster was the youngest in the family and uh in the in, the, in them days the oldest per, uh, uh, member of the uh, uh, of the siblings he inherits the house and everything and then he has to buy out the younger brothers and sisters so when my dad was 13 he got sent to vienna austria to be a pattern maker a wood pattern maker and at 13 he went to vienna and he was alert, uh, apprenticing out as a as a pattern maker and then 1914 the world war 1 broke out and in 1914 he turned 18 years old and he got he got drafted in the army got sent right to the front And ten weeks later, he was a prisoner of war in Russia, and they sent my dad to uh, about fifteen hundred miles east of Moscow on some duke's estate. He he owned everything, the villages and everything. And they give him a file, a saw, and an axe, and he he would cut uh, firewood for the villages to cook with. Uh, Everything was on a wood burning economy in Russia at that time. Then 1918, a little bit after... Well, I'm, I'm
0: going to interrupt you. They, they they would have him cut wood, and every time he would cut a cord of wood, what would he get? It was, it was fairly well understood, the arrangement.
4: Yeah, he'd, he'd get food and was mostly kasha, because that's what the, uh, what the Russians lived on, the buckwheat groats, they call it kasha. And then he had to build his own house and his, his own cabin or his own shack to live in. And then when the Bolsheviks came in they turned him loose and they saw that he wasn't a russian because he had part of his austrian uniform and he talked R- russian with a big accent so every time the the the, the white russians and the red rush, red russians would get in a skirmish they they would catch him and they'd put him in a big bob wab- wire enclosure and then the commissar would get out and holler a big bunch of names and the people would march out in front of a ditch and that They'd machine gun him down, and another group of guys would jump up and bury him and have another ditch ready for the next batch and then they tur- turn my dad loose and the next next week or so he'd get caught by the white Russians and the same thing would go on with there he he went through about four or five times like that where I almost didn 't make it because he he would have been shot down and put in a ditch so when he finally got ho- back home t- to uh, to to his home in the in the in the Julian Alps there it became Italy so he had to go do his obligation in the Italian army and right there where he was living he was in, he was in in Russia though but where he was living over a million soldiers died during World War one there Germans and Italians in a, in the four or five year span there And so he said he didn't want to be no more of army life so he took off and went to uh, Iraq where the Kurds were living, and was cutting wood to, to make barrels, barrel staves, and he didn't like them, and he didn't like the way the way, way the living was over there. So, like some army buddy says, "Well, Algeria's a place to go." So he goes to Algeria and winds up where the Berbers live, and the same thing there. And he said, "The heck with that!" And he says, "I'm no more army buddy." So he went to Argentina, where he had an uncle that was in a spritzer water business. Special water is soda water that that you serve out of a bottle, and, and it was 85 percent Italians, and he hated the Italians with a passion because of of the fighting in in Italy and Austria and there, and, and so he said the heck with that place. So he said, so he went to uh, Brazil. He had he had a cousin living in Brazil, so he went to work in 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 the jungles in Brazil, and. He didn't like that because everything was trying to bite him or eat him. So so he had another cousin that immigrated immigrated to Mexico, oh, in about the eighteen nineties or eighteen eighties and something like that. And he loved it there. And uh his my mother's parents lived and my dad's parents lived next door to each other and my mother's parents they immigrated to the united states before for first world war and my dad's parents always stayed there and they both both sides lived up to up to their 90s so my my mother was promised to my dad to be his wife when she was born and my dad was just a little kid <laughs> So they got married, and they had me, and I was raised up in Pennsylvania, and my dad was in the in the lumber business over there, and he was cutting wood for Hammer Mill Bond, the paper company, and he was cutting that hardwood, and uh, me, my mom, and my dad, we lived out in the forest all the time, and we had 25, 25 workers in the forest. and. Uh, so I learned a big bunch of languages before I was five years old.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt you. I want you to try and name as many as you can all the languages you could speak because of this really diverse group of workers your father had had hired. How many languages could you speak when you were five years old?
4: List them. Well, I had a good smattering of about nine languages, basically Bulgarian, Macedonian, Russian, Serbo-Croatian, Slovene. Czechoslovak, Polish, and uh, my mom. We lived in the woods, and 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 my mom had a Polish girl working with her because we had 25. We had 25 workers that we we had to feed, feed and get their clothes and everything washed. In 1935, the price of lumber went down, down to nothing. So my dad left everything in the woods, and we moved to. Barberton, Ohio, where my dad got a job with the with a boiler company ma- uh, making wood uh, wood patterns for him for casting.
0: And that will uh, and and we'll 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 wrap it up with that, and we'll we'll come back next time. Uh, when we come back next time, we'll pick up uh, the Marines. We'll pick up you you signing in early, and I want to thank you, John, so much for thank telling you. us about your
4: parents. Okay.
0: and and how you came into this world.
4: Okay, you're welcome, Richard, Till I see you again.
1: My name is Alina Krzyzewska. I'm in uh, downtown Los Angeles, and you're listening to You Can't Eat the Sunshine.
0: And we're done. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to our podcast, You Can't Eat the Sunshine, for the week of September 16th, 2013. Our guests this week were Sarkis Vartanian, Terry Ellsworth, And John Meljevic.
1: It's big John to you.
0: Thank you, Kim. Big John to me, too. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to encourage you to continue to keep listening and stay tuned. And Kim, if people want to give us some feedback about what they're listening to, how can they do that?
1: Well, the old email device works just fine. Uh, You can't eat the sunshine at gmail.com or through the contact link at www.esoturic.com. You can also come up to us at an Esoturic tour or a lava event and let us know what you think. We love getting feedback from listeners, so
0: please give us some. All right, Kim. Uh, we we had a great. Uh, I think this is a great episode. I just want to want to look ahead to some bus tours because that's that's what we do. So um, we're still uh, we're still very much in the midst of September. So um, Eastside Babylon this coming Saturday.
1: Completely unhinged crime bus tour. Some of the darkest cases I've ever uncovered, and uh, I maybe got a little too deep into some of them. But hey. That's my job, and if you get on the bus, I will share what I know and chill your blood while showing you some really interesting parts of the eastern part of Los Angeles.
0: And the next week, the next Saturday, the 28th, we have Pasadena Confidential. That's a tour about um, people, very wealthy people who own primates as pets. Um, Wouldn't you? Rocket scientists who've lost their minds, and rightly so, and... Um, A fair amount of of gore and uh, child molestation.
1: Mayhem. Just generalized mayhem. Pasadena. What a lovely place. We'll help dissuade you of that fantasy.
0: Kim, we we move into October then, looking ahead. Um, We have a a tour we don't give that much. I'm not sure why, but it's back on the calendar. I'm happy to see.
1: We had Uh, some dumpling issues, let's be honest. Blood and dumplings includes dumplings. No, they're not soup dumplings. They're not blood dumplings either, but it is a dumpling break in the midst of a crime bus tour in a park filled with sea creatures that are sort of fantastical and delightful and happen to be a California State Landmark. And, uh, yeah, we had a little bit of a language issue with our favorite dumpling place, and it made it a little difficult to do this tour most recently when we attempted to, but we're back and ready to roll and ready to take you out to see some really extraordinary crime scenes, including... a. Uh, scenes related to the James Elroy case, his mother's murder, uh, Phil Spector, insane lesbians with hypodermic needles, lion farms, fun, 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 and don't forget the dumplings.
0: Kim, October will also see on, on the 19th, uh, the Black Dahlia. Is that sold out yet?
1: No, we still have some seats, but it, it will sell out, as it always does, and that is our most popular tour, period, not just Crime Bus Tour probably because people just can't stop wondering what happened to poor Beth Short. We wonder that, too. But uh, on this tour, we try to find out who she was, as best anyone can. She was an extremely mysterious, secretive woman, but a very interesting one. And it's uh, really a story about loneliness and regret and bad decisions and what Los Angeles could do for you if it didn't do the right things. It's one of my favorite tours.
0: Kim, we're gonna we're gonna keep looking in October. The last Saturday of October, the twenty sixth, is my Raymond Chandler bus tour. That's an event we have right before the Charles Bukowski literary salon. So that's a lo- that's a that we start that tour at the Los Angeles Athletic Club, and that evening we have the salon. So we're
1: you better pack a change of socks.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I will. Yes. So the Raymond Chandler tour is great. It's <laughs> everything you wanted to know about Raymond Chandler, but
1: we're afraid to ask.
0: No, not. Okay, Kim. It's a, it's a good tour. We cover uh, Raymond Chandler's life and works as it relates to down to his life as an oil executive, his life as a screenwriter, his deep, long term struggles with alcohol, and his marriage to his highly brilliant and and sometimes deeply estranged wife, Sissy. I love that tour, Richard. Okay, just uh, last note. I want to I want to peek ahead. I want to peek around the corner to November. November second is my Jamie Kane tour. That tour is called the Birth of Noir, and that is a tour about the novelist Jamie Kane, Double Indemnity, Postman, Mildred Pierce. That's a tour about a narrative which is so strong. Someone were to play about it, Billy Wilder and and Raymond Chandler's famous feud while scripting the novel Double Indemnity for the nineteen forty three film. So it's 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 a, the tour is a lot of fun. Glendale Hollywood Mildred
1: Skid Row. Pierce's house. Yeah.
0: It's all there. So. And Skid Row. So, we uh, we end that tour at the last Skid Row bar, the King Eddie Saloon. Uh which is which is down the street from from what was the the Midnight Mission, which was sorry, the Los Angeles Mission. The Los Angeles Mission, which which was a place Kane was was known to spend time to to get the uh get his earwax round how people were talking on Skid Row, which which of course is the better half of the dialogue in Postman, which of course is the better half of the School of American Letters. And with that, I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to encourage you to stay tuned, and I want to remind you... You
1: can't eat the sunshine.
2: You can't eat the sunshine, but you can't make a line for the best of the coastline. La 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 la. Skid Row. the long lost neighborhood called herbin between south pass and highland park grand central Park. it is divine you can't eat the sunshine but it's a gold mine